This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 47. This is Writing Excuses, Q&A on revision. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. I'm Dan. And this is our wonderful Writing Excuses cruise crowd. They have submitted us questions, which we are going to ask ourselves. <laughs> Starting with one from Alexander. During revision, when do you think it's acceptable to throw the whole story out? Wow. When you're, feeling, when you're feeling the worst about yourself, just set fire to it and quit. Wow, okay. <laughs> um, if, if you're going that far, just destroy your laptop altogether. I find putting it in the washing machine works really well for that. With some gravel. Yeah. Um, the answer is that, that there is going to be a point at, in any story when you feel like it, 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 when you don't like it. And you shouldn't submit something that you don't like. Do not delete the file. Just put it ever. in a folder. Yes, ever. Put it in a folder that's called trunk or scraps or whatever you want to call it. Boneyard. Boneyard. Here's- I hate this, whatever it is. <laughs> but put it there and leave it alone. And someday you'll think, oh, I was working on a story... And pull it back out, and this time you might like it. Here's the thing. If you finished it, so you did the revision portion, mm-hmm. yeah. I think you should give it to um, beta readers or alpha readers. Yeah. Absolutely. I do not think, I think if you've gotten that far, it's time to let people that you trust read it. And if they all are kind of having the same uh, opinion, you're like, wow, this is just so much effort to fix, maybe. But you got to remember, I've said this before on the podcast, I hate revision. And I was the person who would never revise that book and would instead write another one because I kept saying, I can do better in a new book. And I didn't get published for many years because I was doing that instead of sitting down and revising and taking a book and making it better the way I should. If you're done, you really should revise at least a few times to force yourself to practice it. Yeah, the the. The exception that I would make to to that rule, and I agree with Brandon 99.8%, is that if you discover if you discover a change that will make the book better that is exactly like rewriting the whole thing, for instance, the discovery that, oh, if I change this from first person to third person limited, I will suddenly have the tools I need to tell this part of the story better. And you know, your beta readers have told you this, you've arrived at this conclusion. It may very well be time to set the project aside and move on rather than rewriting the whole thing. On the other hand, if you've got that instruction set in front of you, if you know what needs to be done and, and it's that big, um, uh, girding up and being the writer mm-hmm. who can tackle that project is something that you can feel really good about. True yeah. fact. Um, I have a book coming out in 2017, Stagecraft, which is was originally slotted for the end of 2015, and uh, we discovered a problem with it that requires a full rewrite to fix a voice issue. So I went to my editor and said I would like more time, and that's why it's coming out in 2017. Yeah. And- so even sometimes something that has <laughs> been sold, you, you, you wind up doing this with. The... Uh- I say this a lot, but the truest and most frustrating answer to pretty much any writing question is 
practice it and you'll get good at it. And that's what it takes to learn when can I, when do I need to stop and fix this? When do I need to just put this aside? When do I need to move on? You'll come to figure that out more easily as you do it. Yeah. How do you fit the whole structure in your head from Austin? Why would you want to fit the whole structure in your head? That's what spreadsheets are for. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. I outline because I, I don't. Yep, I don't either. I know that I, I wish we had a discovery writer up here to talk about that. What, discovery writer? Dan's a discovery writer. I, I am a discovery writer, but I am not a discovery outliner. If that, mm. that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> um, what I have realized as, as recently as a few weeks ago is that I treat outlining as a first draft, a very loose first draft which is why I outline very extensively. Really what I'm doing is I'm writing the first draft without any of the prose in it. Mm. And then when it's time to actually write the prose, that's the second draft in which I'm mostly just discovery writing, remembering, you know, checking in on that early outline, which is often in a spreadsheet, just to make sure that I haven't driven off the side of the road. It's, it's not something that is useful for me to show because... Uh, because it changes so much as I'm, as I'm working. But I have a process I like to call the rolling synopsis, which is where I will reverse engineer the outline and synopsize the stuff that I've already written and then, you know, make some notes to myself about, you know, oh, these are things that I want to cover later. And then I dive back into the project and keep writing. And then as things have updated on the, on the web, you know, this is for Schlock Mercenary, I will go back into the rolling synopsis and update it. And by doing that, I'm taking this huge story that doesn't fit in my head and compressing it into a synopsis that will fit on two pages, uh, which is still too big for my head because small head, but at least I can reread it and figure out what's going on. But let me give a, a more maybe more helpful answer than my last one is uh, that the way I use my outline while writing is not to follow it slavishly, but uh, it's kind of the concept of navigating by landmark. I know Mm -hmm. I need to get Mm -hmm. to that mountain over there and I can write my way to it as long as I keep that mountain in mind. And so I don't need to know the entire path, the entire structure of the novel, but I do need to know which themes should I maybe come back to more often than not. Uh, you know, which emotional beats, where do I want this character to end up, and how have I decided that that will be, you know, the, the emotional things that need to happen in order for this decision to be made. And if I keep just a couple of things in mind, a couple of big landmarks, then I can get where I need to go. All right. Bill asks, what do you most often need to revise or add? Description, senses, blocking, dialogue, timing, format, etc. Punchlines. Mm. I would say for me, it's, uh, it's blocking and trimming. Those are my two things. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, like all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a bit of all lines. of that. It's, I spend, I would, I would say that 50% of my writing time when I'm working on Schlock Mercenary is spent refining the text that goes into the last panel. Mm. Yeah, uh, actually, I think it's it's mostly it's clarity things because I tend to underwrite and okay. trust my reader and then watch them go, what in the world? And then I have to go back and add stuff. Probably word choice for me. Mm. I'm very particular about my word choice, which is, like I said, why I argue with copy editors a lot. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, let's stop for our book of the week. We actually have an audience member who's going to pitch a book of the week to you all. It's Blindsight by Peter Watts. Yes, this is Brad. He is uh, one of our many wonderful attendees on the cruise. He's going to tell you about Blindsight. All right, so Blindsight is uh, about a group of transhumans investigating an alien spaceship at the edge of the solar system, and it's told from the POV of a professional autistic man. Um, It's weird in the best way. There are some big and terrifying ideas about the nature of the brain and human consciousness that just wouldn't get out of my head for days. And it's also the only hard sci-fi novel I've ever read that has actual bona fide vampires in it. (laughs) Very cool. That is read by T. Ryder Smith. Written by Peter Watts. You can pick up a copy at audiblepodcast.com slash excuse after starting a free trial, which allows you to download Blindsight for free. All right, next question. What do you do when you suspect your revision passes are actually making certain things worse? (laughs) From Mitch. Sorry, I laugh because that's a very painful and familiar subject. (laughs) Um, This is why I keep... uh, I keep drafts of my drafts of my drafts. Mm. Um, Every time I'm making a major change, um, so now I use Scrivener and I can, uh, uh, but every time I'm making a major change, I take a snapshot. Mm. Uh, That way I can roll back or go grab something if I've screwed it up. Uh, When I was just using Word, um, I I would do version numbers. And so I'd have, this is, you know, Shades of Milk and Honey, point two. Point two, point five, point seven. Shades of milk and honey. Point three. Shades of milk and honey. Point seven. Shades of milk and honey. Point nineteen. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the same principle that uh, I I was trained on back when I was working in the software industry, which is that uh, you you maintain code libraries in which. There is a change log, and there is a rolling current version of the code, but you always have the stuff you've done before because there comes that point when suddenly it doesn't compile and it doesn't run and it's throwing errors that you've never seen before. Your beta readers are saying things that you just don't understand, and you realize, oh, I really did break it. <laughs> I need to go back. See, I'm going to give a slightly different answer to this. Um, if you feel that you're just making things worse, or more often with me, I hit a point where I feel like I'm just making them indifferent. Yep. I'm taking s- too many sidesteps. That's when I need distance from the project. Um, it doesn't mean I'm done. Sometimes it does. Most of the time it means it is time to write something new and send this out for beta reads for six months. Or give it to my editor and see what they say. Um, and at that point, that distance 
helps me approach it with a new fresh perspective. The other thing that I'll do, because I I have that happen too, but the other thing is that sometimes the feeling that you're making something worse is just your self-doubt, which which can be crippling and make you stop. Um, So if you can identify the problem... Like, I'll do the thing where I keep changing words in a sentence trying to, and I know there's something wrong with the sentence. So if I can, instead of just trying, well, maybe this word will make it better. Well, maybe that word will make it better. I'll sit there and say, can I articulate what is wrong with this sentence? And if I can, then I can usually articulate how to fix it. And if I can't, then it's probably just self-doubt. Or sometimes I just need to cut the whole sentence. But that's, but the, the key thing is, Try to identify what the problem is before you sit there and flail at it trying to fix something that just feels wrong. Right. You know, Aaron actually asked a question that's very similar to this, which is how long do you typically wait between finishing a first draft and revising? I'd like, I, I'm curious. As long as I can, mm-hmm. which is usually not as long as I would like to, um, the schedule that I have myself on is often a month at the most before I have to get back into another revision. Sometimes I'll get two months. I revise immediately because I usually know what is wrong. Uh, And then I hand it to beta readers and step away from it and don't look at it again while they've got it. So usually about a month. Yeah, usually I do one pass to fix all the big broken stuff Mm -hmm. that I know because I just change things as I'm going. Then I do one pass as my first polish. And then I give myself as much distance as I can, like Dan said. Schlock mercenary script revisions uh, typically take place the day after the script was originally written. And that's the day that I then start uh, drawing. So I, I try to never draw on something I just wrote because it obviously sucks because it hasn't had enough time to bake. But I do not have enough time to wait for it to bake for a long time, so I get a day. So this is a really good question here. How do you avoid overwriting while doing revisions? Zach asks this. I can see hitting a first paragraph. In fact, I used to do this a lot as a new writer. Be like, my first paragraph really needs to pop out. Let's go in and add my descriptions. Let's go ahead and make this thing vivid. And then I get this purple prose paragraph that I've been trying too hard. In fact, a lot of students... I will tell them, oh, your prose gets really good after the first paragraph. The first paragraph, <laughs> they're trying so hard that it's just, you know, it, it, it drips. I, I get as deep into the character's POV as I can uh, because that will shape the prose. And that typically will keep me from overwriting because we don't usually speak. I mean, there are people who speak in purple prose, but that's a very specific character choice. Mm. Um, so if I can get into the character's head, that usually, not always, but usually will keep me from from having description in there that's just pretty to be pretty. Mm-hmm. I can't always prevent myself from overwriting, but uh, anytime I read overwritten stuff aloud, uh, all the red flags go up and I realize I... <laughs> Broke it, I overdid it, I need to go back. Yeah, I, I do that as well. If I suspect something is overwritten, I will read it aloud and listen to the cadence my own voice falls into. Mm. If I start to sound like a bad Shakespearean actor, it's probably really <laughs> purple. Yeah. If I start to sound like I'm selling a used car, it's probably really cheesy. Danielle asks, when revising, do you do a pass-through for theme, then character arcs, etc., and then a line edit? What comes first? 
With me, it's always goal-based, like we talked about um, several weeks ago where I said I, we, you know, we, I create this document or this list of things I want to change. I'm like, I fix these problems, then I move to easier problems, then I move to easier problems, and finally I'm polishing. Um, so it's not really a look for theme unless I think theme is broken, and then theme is one of my things on my, on my list of things to revise. Well, the theme is broken. Look for places to fix this. I don't usually think about theme mm-hmm. in particular i mean there there are ideas that i'm interested in that i'm playing with but i usually let i usually let reviewers worry about theme mm. um so i look at i look at structure issues um and so i do big structure issues first uh and then and i i guess i, guess I count character as part of a structure issue okay. uh and i do i do my fine-tune pass kind of last i uh I've said this before, but it bears repeating that I am one of those writers that uh, does a lot of revision as I go. Um, And so I am, you know, as I'm writing one chapter, I'm revising the one immediately before it. And really, that that is where I take care of things like uh, theme, which, -hmm. again, is not kind of the junior high concept of, of explain what the author was thinking when he wrote this, but just things like there's a lot of class struggle in this book if i change this sentence just a little it will highlight that a little better mm. oh, okay little things like that watching the extended features for the fellowship of the ring uh and looking at the decisions they had to make to edit like 18 hours of really good footage down to the original film there came a point at which uh peter jackson and uh, uh fran and philippa said you know what this is Frodo's story. Let's treat this as Frodo's story and make an editing pass uh, just telling this as Frodo's story. And in watching that, I kind of got chills because I realized, oh my gosh, that's the tool I need. Sometimes I need to make that editing pass, and it might be theme, it might be character arc, it might be plot, it might be you know, the reveal, but once I figure out what this story is, what kind of a story I'm telling, often that's the first editing pass I need to make to fix things. All right. Well, I have actually one last question, but I saved it for the end because I know it goes right into Mary's um, homework for us. Because one of the Michaels, who wrote his name that way, asks... (laughs) What do, you th- um, what do you think about taking the sound of words and sentences into account with your story? Do you think sound is not fundamentally part of the prose? Sound um, is fundamentally part of the prose. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Absolutely, especially in an era when so many people listen to audiobooks. And, uh, you know, I do readings aloud all the time at uh, events and stuff. I have to think about how it's going to sound, and I have to think about how the ca- even the cadence of... Where am I going to put the he said in the sentence because I want it to sound good when read out loud? So, Mary, how does this uh, turn into a writing exercise? All right. So the thing you should remember is that writing was developed to convey the spoken language. So this is absolutely tied in. What I want you to do is I want you to read your piece aloud. Yes, even if it's a novel. Um, because you've you've spent an entire year working on this in theory, if you've been doing this week by week, mm-hmm. and taking three days to read it out loud, three to four days, and I'm a professional audiobook narrator. I know how long it takes to read a book out loud. Um, my, mine might take a little longer. <laughs> Brandon's take nine days to yeah. read out loud. Yeah. But still, proportionately speaking, 
that's not very much time compared to, to how long you've spent doing it. The thing about reading out loud is that it forces you to interact with the words in a different way. It forces you to hear the way you'll, – you'll find redundancies and repetitions. You'll be reading aloud and you'll go, gosh – this is really – this section goes on really long because you can't skim. And that's the big thing. You cannot skim when you're reading aloud. If you can find someone who is willing to let you read it aloud to them, that is even better because when you are reading to someone, you're telling them a story. And again, it forces you to interact with your story in a different way. So your homework assignment is to read the thing out loud. All right. We are almost done with the season. One month left. You are out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 